How are we doing today? Excellent. I am too. Hey, happy Memorial Day. I know this is the unofficial beginning of summer in America, so I'm glad to have you here today. And if you're traveling, and also with summer means some of you guys don't live here. So you're you're checking us out, you're moving into the city, right? You're going to be here for a time, and so you're kind of checking out churches. I wanted to make you feel welcome, like Pastor Reeve said. We're awkward anyway, so if it feels awkward, you're probably you're at home, all right? So I want you to engage us. Maybe you're not a believer. Maybe you're checking this out or you're looking for a new church home. We want you to engage. So sing with us. Open up the word with us, even if you don't believe it. Um, just speculate with me for a minute that maybe God has something for you. Maybe he wants to talk to you. Maybe he wants you to learn from him today. So walk with me in that. Um, we are in Philippians. We're going to be in chapter 1, verses 12 through 18 today. have been walking through this book. Uh, what we're looking at through this is your story. Everybody has a story. Everybody wants to believe that their life matters, that you will make a difference. There's something about you. You bring something to the table um, that matters. We want to believe that. And as we're looking at the life of the Apostle Paul, we see the arc of his life just pops and it just stops. It's done. Um, he had everything. He had the background. Uh, he had the training. He had the skills. He had the cred. And he gave it all up. And we want to know why. He saw his life, his story, tucked into the story of Jesus. Such so much so that he could look you in the eye and say, you know what? I'm better than you. And it's all stuff. It's junk. It's nothing compared to knowing Jesus. So that compels me. I want to know what he's talking about. I want us to know that. Um, I'm a type A person. Sometimes I actually make a checklist that I've already completed just so I can check it off. I know, I know you're out there. Some of you people do that. It's a disease. I don't care. Um, I'll probably go home today and write, preach a sermon. Check, did that. It makes me feel good about myself, all right? So leave me alone for a minute. Um, but on my little, my little organizer, there was this quote, because they have these little campy quotes at the top, and it said, um, everything that you ever wanted is sitting on the other side of fear. And I absolutely loved it. It was, it was attributed to this guy named George Adair. I don't have no idea who he is. Um, he is some, I don't know, I think he was a businessman in, in Civil War in Georgia somewhere, but I don't know if it's a good guy or a bad guy. But he, he had a good quote, and the quote was, everything that you've ever wanted sits on the other side of fear. I absolutely believe that. Um, this is what we see in Scripture, and how you understand where your story is falling apart, where God is calling you to walk in faith, is always going to be where you're experiencing fear. And that is how faith works. Am I willing to trust God in this or not? Am I going to pull back? Am I going to risk? Am I going to love that person? Um, am I going to drop this in my life? It always has to do with fear. So if that's true, and I believe that it is, the more that we succumb to fear, this is what it's going to feel like for us as we grow. We will, we will start to, to dwell in cynicism. That's what happens. The more you fear things, the more you don't engage them as God's calling you, you grow in cynicism. You know what cynicism is? It's really just a self-respectable way to be immature. It is. It's acceptable. It's about self-protection. Nothing's really going to change anyway. I can remain self-centered, immature, 
And it breeds this, this absolute unwillingness to take a risk. And it kills joy, right? Um, you will see yourself chained to your circumstances in life, the things that you have to endure, the life that I'm living, what has happened in my life, what hasn't happened in life. You will see yourself chained there, and it will just wipe away courage. Done. So I always think about what is God talking to us about in his word? He wants us to kind of grow up. Can I say that without being arrogant? Maybe I can, maybe I can't, but I said it anyway. He wants you to grow up. He wants me to grow up. You cannot do that in cynicism. You cannot do that unless you engage the fear that you have with faith. You can't do this unless you start listening to a different story. Here's how the story goes that you're telling yourself. You know what? Any chance I had to make a difference? Any chance I had to have a life that matters has been ripped out of my hands by blank. Have you, have you told yourself this before? Any chance I had to make a difference, to have a life that mattered, to have joy, has been taken away from me by a bad boss? by this city, by this disease, by this marriage, by this singleness, by these kids, by these no kids. You have a way of filling in that blank, and you rehearse that story over and over and over, and it has nothing to do with what God wants for you. Nothing. In fact, it's destroying it. So we want to understand our story. It's not your bad boss. It's not bad luck. It's not. In fact, what God wants for you has nothing to do with your circumstances. Having a fruitful life of joy has nothing to do with what you're suffering externally and everything to do with the story that you're rehearsing. So let me ask you this question as we dive into the text. If you believed that in Christ, by living in faith, that God's plan for your life cannot be overturned, absolutely cannot be prevented, period. If you believe that, how would that change how you lived right now? Especially in relation to fear, the thing that you're just deathly afraid of, and how you risk. If you believed that God's purpose for your life, what do you mean by purpose? Why you exist, why you're you, if you believe that God's purpose for your life could not be prevented, nothing could overturn it, how would it change your life? That's what we're going to see today. Watch this. Watch this, okay? Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. This is a rough ride. I'm just going to tell you, but it's so good and it's so sweet, and God has something so good for us today. We're learning what does it mean to live our story, right? Um, we all have one, and it's wrapped up. If you're in Christ, it's wrapped up in who the person of Jesus is. So chapter 1, verse 12, Paul's writing a letter to a church that he loves. He desperately loves this church, and he planted it about 10 years ago, and he's writing them this letter, and there's some conflict. Here we go. I want you to know, brothers, oh, by the way, Paul's in jail. So he's writing this in jail. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, 
so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from good will. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. Hmm. You know what I'm tired of, Lord? I'm tired of listening to your words and having them sit in my head. I pray, Lord, that as we open up your word today, they would, it would take the trip to our heart. By the Spirit of God, you would transform us. And you would change how we live. I pray that, Lord, arrest our story. In the name of Christ, amen. God's purpose for your life. Can it be overturned? If you believe it can, if you believe that God's purpose for your life, why you're here, is in jeopardy ever, it's going to change what you fear, and it's going to change how you live out your story. So, so we do believe this. God's purpose cannot be prevented. So, so what? So live your life on purpose, right? Just live your life with the purpose that God gives you. Don't just randomly walk through life. Life is random enough. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, right? We all experience that. But because your story in Christ is not in jeopardy, we can honestly live our life on purpose. Let's see how this works out. Context. Feel the emotional weight of this letter. Paul planted this church 10 years prior. He loves these people. He's thanking God for them. Um, 10 years ago, he met Lydia by the river. She was praying. She came to Christ and he planted a church. It was in her house. He delivered this, this girl that was in bondage to these dudes who were using her for profit. Delivers her from bondage. And, and even in, in Acts 16, we see that Paul was delivered out of a jail because that gets him in trouble. Anytime you mess with a culture and how they make money, you're going to be imprisoned. I don't care where you are. He goes to prison. God breaks him out supernaturally. The jailer freaks out because he knows if Paul gets out, he's going to die. Paul says, calm down. We're all good. The, the whole jail, the jailer and his whole family comes to Christ. This is how the Philippian church starts. And you cannot minimize this fact that now they know that Paul, who's both famous and infamous, right? He has a reputation. People know who he is. He started out persecuting the church and now he's spreading the gospel like wildfire. He's in jail, probably in Rome. They will not have his support anymore. They have supported his ministry. He's going to go. I mean, basically this letter is, is I'm going to prepare you for my death. That's really the subtext of Philippians. Now, in, in our day and age, a lot of times we prepare our family members for our death by making a will, right? We divide the resources, and that's good and right. But in the Mediterranean world this time, it was more of a social contract. Like, hey, you got to get ready because I ain't coming back. This is really what Paul is saying. He's trying to console them. So 
how do we live life on purpose? How do we do this if we know that our story, the purpose that God's working in our life cannot be prevented? First this, let your story, this is how you live on purpose, let your story lead others to confidence in Christ. Hey, that's a big one. Could you honestly say that your life is giving reason for others to be confident in Christ? Is your story, as you live it, now come on, it's not perfect. We learn to celebrate gospel progress, but is your story, are you giving the Lord the territory to use your story to build confidence in other people in the relationship with the Lord? Um, why? Why do I say that? Because look at this. Why would God do this? Can we just honestly ask this? Paul is one of the greatest minds. He planted churches. He loved them. He was an evangelist. He gets locked up in prison. Doesn't this stand against everything that God wants for this world and for his people? And here's Paul under lock and key in Rome. It's senseless. In fact, we know that God could break him out of prison. He did that once. So the question is, why would you do this? If you're asking this, you've got to know that you're in good company. If you're going to walk with Jesus, you're going to ask it quick. Especially if you believe that he loves you because you're a good person. So shelve that for a minute. That is not the basis of his love for you. The basis of his love for you is his mercy. The Bible calls it grace a lot of times. In fact, when Jesus met Paul, or when Paul met Jesus, he was on his way to persecute the church, to drag men and women back to Jerusalem, put them on trail. He oversees the death and the stoning of Stephen, one of the first deacons of the church. Jesus says this, I'm going to show you how much you're going to suffer for my name. And he was serious. And he explains to Paul through Ananias, oh no, he's he's going to go to the Gentiles. He's going to bring my light to everyone. Go pray for him. The scales will fall off of his eyes. And I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Paul knew that his story was wrapped up in that. But verse 12 is the heart of this passage. If you hear nothing else, consider this. Paul says, what has really happened to me? This is how he's consoling the church in Philippi. I'm under lock and key. I have lost my story. I have lost my resources. I've lost my friends. Everything that's happened to me, the shipwreck on the way to Rome, uh, being imprisoned in Caesarea, the riot in Ephesus, being beat so many times I can't count it, losing my family, losing my reputation, all of this has really served to advance the gospel. Like, don't worry so much about me. Thank you for sending the gift. Thank you for sending it up with Epaphroditus. That's good. That's wonderful. That's loving. That's one of the reasons I glory in the gospel. Know that God is working in you and what he has worked, he will finish. But know this, this is advancing the gospel, both in me and through me. So what does that mean, advance the gospel? Well, here's what it's not. We can nuance this and it's, it's wrong. What Paul is not saying is that I want you to know that God has worked out his purposes in my life despite my circumstances. Now that's a, the, the strange view of sovereignty that we get. It's like this, this empty optimism. We just know things are going to work out because, you know, God's in heaven and we're here and it, it just, or the universe or whatever. It is not that things will work out despite my circumstances. That is not what it says. Like we have to be careful. What has happened to me, things I did not choose, things I did not want, has served to advance the gospel in my life. So it's not despite my circumstances, it's through them. It's through my circumstances. God's purposes advance through my circumstances. That should give you hope. 
because you have circumstances, right? There's a story. Everybody has circumstances. Everybody has things that you've, you've either messed up really badly or things you can't control. Um, so what is it? It's really a military term. It can be used that way. You know what it means? It means blazing a trail so that a military can follow. It's opening up the way. It's opening up new territory so you can go take it. Can we just think about that for a minute? So Paul is saying, you know what? What I've suffered, what I've gone through, what I'm experiencing now has actually blazed new territory for the gospel or the person and work of Jesus Christ, right? His life, death, resurrection, ascension, return, all of that. So these circumstances, God is working so that he has new territory in my heart so I can honestly say I'm okay. And he's working through me. It's not just in me. It's not just, I'm here for God's glory. So he desires to see this happen in the Philippian church and to do anything he can to bless them and to see them grow in Christ, right? Things I did not choose. So if this is true, right, it's, it's part of learning to live on purpose is letting your story lead others to be confident in Christ. How does that start? Well, how does this confidence grow in you first and in others? You've got to stop living your life to avoid loss. Period. Uh, we've said this 14 different ways in this, in this series. But if you live your life to avoid misery and to avoid discomfort and to avoid pain, you take any chance of joy away from you. And what you do have is going to be quick and it's going to be fleeting and you won't be able to hold on to it. So you've got to learn to embrace loss. Now, this doesn't make you special. So let's be careful that we're not a martyr. Let's be careful that we don't say, well, I'm embracing loss, so I'm better than you. My life is worse than yours, so God loves me more than you. No, he doesn't. Well, then why does it happen? I don't know. I don't know. But you've got to learn to embrace loss. You've got to learn to stop living your life for your comfort, for your glory, for everything that you want, because you don't know right? Live it in the light of glory. So verse 13, he says, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard, that's probably the Roman special guard, and to all the rest, that my imprisonment is for Christ. So how did things move? How was the gospel being advanced? Here's one way. The people that were around Paul, specifically his enemies, those that were holding him, they learned something really strange about the apostle Paul. First of all, he's a Roman citizen, like, what, what are you doing, dude? You don't have to, you don't appeal to Caesar, give it up. Just go. They learned that really they weren't his chains. They learned this. Paul is absolutely chained to Jesus. He's chained to him. He's the freest man that they've ever seen because his chains are not made out of brass. His chains are to Christ. He will go where Jesus says go. He will suffer anything, not because he's earning something, but because he's learned that Jesus is everything that he needs. So when we learn to embrace loss, what you're showing people when you walk in faith in loss and how you embrace it, you're showing, you're, you're showing people actually Jesus is more valuable than attaining this. And people watch your life. And people listen to what you say, and they will pick up on what you value most. So learning to live 
Life on purpose is learning to embrace loss, not just because it makes you a better person. It's because God will use this in your story to show people that you value him more than anything else. Hey, why do you hold on to this ancient religion that does not belong here anymore when it means you're going to suffer socially, when it means you may lose a promotion at work, when it may actually mean that people think evil of you? I mean, I, I can't control what they think, but I, I need to let them go with Jesus. Like, uh, I, well, why would you, what, what you should, because he, your life is awful. Your marriage fell apart. Uh, why would you continue to worship God? Curse God and die. And now, he's more valuable. People will see that nothing can preach like that. Um, verse 14, and most of the brothers... So this is the church, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. That doesn't make sense to me. By my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Again, it's not despite his circumstances. It's through the circumstances that Paul endured that this church that was suffering some conflict actually grew in confidence. No, no. Our father in the faith is like, hey, don't worry about it. God's using this to advance the gospel in me, through me, in you. This is the last thing you need to worry about. And they're growing in boldness by how they're watching Paul experience loss and restriction and pain and suffering. And so God is using Paul's story to build a confidence in the church, to build courage in the church that they might accept risk, they might endure loss, they might have a unity that is built on this shared faith and grace they have in Christ and not in thinking alike and looking alike and being alike. Because that always causes conflict when we extend our community to people that do not think like us, let alone the same age or look like us. So he's teaching them how to walk in this confidence. Don't fear that. Don't be afraid of living your story publicly. God will use this to build confidence. So, um, shameless plug, go to the India Outreach Dinner. It's this week. It's on Thursday. Mary Priscilla, who's a great friend of ours, Pastor Sudhakar's um, daughter, who runs, she's a social worker in India. She runs the entire orphan ministry of, of several hundred orphans. She's been over here in America going to some conferences with world orphans and things of that nature. Man, she's one of the best speakers I've ever heard. Honestly, I preached at Bethel Gospel Church once, and she, I don't know how to speak Telugu, so she was interpreting my sermon, which is, first of all, it's just wild. But she didn't just interpret it. She laid down the sermon. I was like saying, and then God said, and she was like, she just, she preached. It was amazing, right? And so she loves the Lord like nobody I've ever seen and and knows how to walk through loss. Listen, Pastor Sarakar, I don't know if you know this about him. Back in 2007, during a worship service in Hyderabad, India, um, some militants broke in and they took him by force they like destroyed the sound system. Um, they said some, some things. They hit him over the head. And then he got arrested. He got arrested and put in jail for three days. And then that started a three-year trial where it looked like he was going to go away for a long time. And this really upset the church and it bothered him. And um, it, I don't know what's wrong with this guy. He just, Pastor Stocker just, just didn't bother him. He didn't want to be in jail. 
but he sounded a lot like Paul. And when he was relating this story to me, he was kind of laughing. Not in, in like just in a way that where he just risks for the risk's sake. He, he really did quote Philippians 121 to me. Hey, man, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So he said, he's very practical. He's like, I guess if I'm going to jail, God has some purpose in it. Like, I don't know that I think like that. What's wrong with you? What about your wife? What about your kids? What about your church? He's like, it's, I, it's God's. God must have some purpose for me in jail. So what happened was, at the end of this trial... During the witness section, the two people that were the two key witnesses that actually brought the charge against him with the government, they actually became Christians, and they dropped the charges. And the judge got so mad that he threw the whole case out, and he went free. Do you know how that story grew confidence in me as a young pastor? I can't tell you how. Do you know how when I experienced a little tiny suffering losses that I experienced in life, thinking about him chuckling at it, right? Both laughing and crying that somehow comes from the same place. Seeing God work through that and through his story. Um, his life built confidence in me by tr- helping me, pushing me to trust in Christ. Um, that is what God wants to do with your story. You've got to open your mouth though. Right? You have to tell people what your story is in Christ. You have to be comfortable speaking the word of God, being prepared to give an answer. Because when people see you value something other than what they do, they're going to ask you. That's weird. Let them ask. Right? Tell them. Don't be afraid. Um, secondly, you've got to live your story for God's glory. If you're going to live on purpose, um, verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. So basically, he said there's two people preaching Christ. One is out of envy and rivalry, and one's out of love for Paul. One wants to put pressure on Paul's chains, keep him there, and one wants to join with him in ministry. Um, I don't know why, but I can tell you from being a pastor, this is a huge temptation. You know what makes a pastor depressed? I mean, this is just the truth. When another pastor you know has a bigger church, it's true. Um, it's true. You go to these conferences, right? And you're like, hey, so how big is your church? And I'm telling you, you're preaching Christ out of rivalry. And Paul's like mature enough to say, I don't really care. They're both Christians. They're preaching the gospel. Grow up a little bit, man, and realize this is not your church. Start living for God's glory. This is going to crush you. You will not finish the ministry, and God forbid that you do, because you'll build a church based on you. Right? Learn how to live for God's glory. Learn how to be as happy, if not more, for your church that you planted that's bigger than you and better than you. Maybe they raised a church up and this God brings up a church planter and he plants an amazing church and you're just an okay church. Can you celebrate that? So let's, tra- let's bring this to us for a minute. What motivates you? What gets you up in the morning? Many times it's comparison. This idea of comparative righteousness. God loves me because I'm not like you. I don't think like you think. I'm better at my job. I love my husband or my wife better. Instead of, we're supposed to be motivated by this incomparable glory of God's grace. If that doesn't motivate you, you will start building a story that, and your success is going to be based on how it's doing in relation to other people. 
regardless of whether you're in ministry or not. But Paul makes this, this point that I, I don't really care. As long as Christ is being preached, that's the point. So let me just ask you a weird question. Why does it seem like it's okay that Paul's in jail? I mean, it's very unjust. He's in jail, and it just seems to be okay. It seems to be like this life lesson for us. Anything weird for you? Man lost everything. Are you okay with injustice? I don't think you are. Why is it okay that he is in chains? Is he just a really good pastor? Why does Paul care so much about the advancement of the gospel? Here's why. When I approach the gospel, when you approach the gospel, we are tempted to see it this way. Lord, why am I suffering? Don't you know how much I've given up for you? You're like, I don't think that way, but we do. Paul could not think that way. He's like, Paul, why am I still alive, God, after everything I've done to you? And so he gloried in the grace of God. First Timothy 1.15 says this. this. This is Paul writing to Timothy. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost. This is not rhetoric for Paul. This is not drama. He actually believes those words and believes that his life, being the worst of sinners, was put on display to show how patient and good and merciful God is. He actually believes that. So when he says, you know, it doesn't matter. Only this, that Christ is preached. In this I rejoice that more people would understand that their story and their value and their significance and their security in this life can never be tethered to what they do or what they feel or how sincere they are, but only in this, Christ crucified and resurrected for them. This is the love of God. This is what anchors me. And if there's any way I can persuade somebody else to receive this love and this grace of God, I'm going to do it. I do not care if I lose my life or not, or if I'm in chains or if I'm preaching to a million. God, use it. Any chance. See, so, so you know what's killing your story? You know, you know what's making you wonder if your life matters? It's not your external circumstances. It's unbelief. It's really difficult for you to believe that God could love you like that and sustain with you. It's really difficult for you to believe that your story is not chained to your circumstances and that at the end of the day, your story is your circumstances. That's unbelief. You don't get the freedom to believe that if you're going to receive Jesus. You don't get that. See, God's purpose for your life cannot be prevented. He's calling you to live your life purposefully in this purpose. He's calling you to lead others to confidence in him. Right? Let your story do that. He's calling you to live for his glory, not to make a story for yourself. Um, this is our last Sunday here. Can I just take a right turn real quick? <laughs> Sorry. This is our last... But you know, the reason I say that is because this building has a story. A lot of our stories are tied to place, right? It's tied to family, tied to experience, tied to place. We've been tied to this place for five years. A lot of stuff has happened in that five years. 
Um, now, we might come back at the end of the summer. Great. We're, either way, we're, there's no way we can lose in this. God's grace is so good. But this place is an essential part of our story. So can I just recount for a minute a little bit of God's story that he's written? Like, how has God advanced the gospel in this place? Because when you walk in this building, it triggers memories. I hope they're good. But when you see this place, when your kids see this place, they, it, it means something to them. So can we just recount this for a minute? Um, how has God advanced the gospel in this place, in our story? Um, first of all, when I started here, I hated this building. When I would walk over that little, that little sidewalk and I would see this, my stomach would turn. Right? I left a career to take on this call because I believe this was God's will for my life, and it was. And I walked into a leadership shakeup in this church. And I was like, thanks, God. It's fun to be punished for following you. Like, I actually said that. I don't even know why he puts up with me. So coming into here was not fun. I wasn't prepared for it. I didn't want this role. I didn't want to do it. I, I was ready to leave. So um, I can honestly look you in the eyes and say I could not do what God has called me to do without what he drug me through. Right? It has served to advance the gospel in my life, and I believe in general in our church. Um, so we have a shared story, friends. And it's not always good. Sometimes they're conflict. But what I have seen in this church is a story of people that are embracing their faith. Sometimes for the first time, sometimes over and over and over. So... Over 20 baptisms, kids that have come to Christ in this way, they're, they're learning to walk in the faith that's been handed down to them by their parents, um, relationships healed, marriages, uh, new life over and over and over. There are so many good stories. Um, somebody's going to get mad at me. Hey, Chris, could you turn that mic on and bring it down real quick? Yes, sir. Thanks, Chris. Actually, can you help me out? Great. We got five minutes on the clock. Does anybody want to like just give a story of how God has advanced the gospel during your time in this building? It's part of our shared story. Don't be shy. And we'll turn the mic off if we don't like what we hear. <laughs> right? We've got that ability. Anybody, be bold. I mean, I'll, I'll pick somebody. Like, it could be 30 seconds. This is how God has transformed me or how I've got to be a part of God's work while we've been here at HB. This is important because these are the stories we need to rehearse. This is how we give glory to God. True story.
Friends, that's called a shared story of redemption in a family. Yeah, thank you for that, Sarah. Michelle. For that. We have time for one more. All right. Well, we're loud people, apparently. Well, you, you got to stand up, Taylor. Remember, he said that. <laughs> we can't. Thank you for that. Um, be encouraged by what God has done in you and through you and among us. Be encouraged. And ask yourself this question. What will God do in the new space if we absolutely refuse to succumb to fear? What if we actually believe that no matter what happens there, it's going to advance the gospel. See, everything that you really want is on the other side of faith. Like, do you trust Jesus? Have you given your life to him? Are you still holding your sin and trying to work it out? Or are you letting his work be your righteousness? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Um, I give you praise and honor. We all do. For the story that you've written, Lord, in our lives together. Um, in this church. It's beautiful, Lord. Let us never to become complacent. Let us have eyes wide open to the opportunities you put before us, Lord. Let us be bold to speak your word without fear and without shame. And God, we just pray that we will continue to see the wonders of you, God, um, worked out in the simplest ways, Jesus, and in the grand ways. Lord, let us, let us be your people publicly. Use us in the name of Jesus. Amen.